tried to find reasons not to believe in God and reasons to complain to other Christians so that they won't believe in God. And I I think the reason I did it is unconsciously, I, I didn't want to follow God's rules. And so it was easy to just pretend that God didn't exist. And one of the arguments that people come up with and that I had at that time before understanding what the scripture said was about God and the wicked, right? We look around this world and we see wicked people and it looks like they're winning. And we know that they're doing wrong, according to what the scripture says, and yet they're perhaps in high places of financial power or maybe governmental power. And so why, why does evil happen? And then the question is, why do bad guys seem to win? And I thought that was a rock-solid argument against the God of the Bible, because I thought it seems like a good God wouldn't let that happen, and so either God isn't good or he isn't powerful enough, or maybe he isn't even there. And perhaps you've had thoughts like this at certain moments when people are celebrated that ought not be celebrated. Does it bother you that the wicked seem to win? Has it ever crossed your mind? Maybe it's, it's crossed your mind on a grand scale, right? Think about this. How many godly people run or own Fortune 500 companies? How many godly people are influential in the government in our country and around the world? How many godly people are on the world's richest men and women's list? They publish those things at People's Net Worth. How many godly people are broadly celebrated by media and our culture? How often does that happen? So you may, you may see that and think, what is going on? Or you may know that guy, that lady. Maybe they're at work. Maybe they're someone that you know through school or through a sporting group that you belong to or perhaps through a hobby, and they are just rotten. They're always causing trouble for other people. They're always gossiping. They're always complaining. They're always getting you in trouble. They're always leaving their work undone and blaming it on you. They're always the one talking. And then in class, somehow you get called on for talking out of turn when they were the ones that were actually doing wrong. And you think, it seems like they're getting away with it. Everybody likes them. I know the truth about them, but everyone else seems to think that they're just the golden child. And you might ask yourself, how do we not get discouraged by this? Well, this is not unique to our age. The wicked looking like they're winning is as old as sin itself. And so let's look at what Solomon wrote about it. And so as we turn to the the scriptures in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, Ecclesiastes chapter 8, and as you find your way there, I just want you to know this is a continuation of the sermon series about Solomon's life. This part focusing on under the sun, these few sermon series about what life is like on this earth when you leave God completely out of the equation. In Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse number 11, the word of God says, Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Though a sinner do evil a hundred times, and his days be prolonged, yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God, which fear before him. But it shall not be well with the wicked, Neither shall he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he feareth not before God. Let's pray together. Father, in this hour, I pray that you would give us the energy, the focus of mind, deliverance from distraction, that we can be here with you and your spirit, guiding us through your word into all truth. I pray you do this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 
Solomon was the wisest natural man that ever lived. He was David's son, that King David that slew Goliath, the sweet psalmist of Israel, that great king who wanted to build a house for the Lord. And the Lord said, no, it'll be your son that builds it. And Solomon started out wonderfully. He humbled himself before the Lord. He walked in the Lord's ways, but he had a downfall. And his downfall, the Bible says, was that he loved many strange women. Not weird women, women that did not belong to God's people. He married Pharaoh's daughter, and he married this princess and that princess and that beautiful woman. And before it was all said and done, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. If you think about the time from 18 to 60-something years old when he died, 62 years old, people say, that's adding a new woman in every two weeks. It's pretty wild if you think about that. So in light of that, he started doing the things that these beautiful women wanted of him, which was build an altar to my God, build us something in the high place to my God. And he did it. And before long, his heart was stolen away from God. And he has this sad journey, but a very instructive journey where he started out great and his heart was turned and he got far away from God. And then at the end, you have almost a somber message in the book of Ecclesiastes where he says, I figured it out. And honestly, it's where I started. It's about being rightly related to God and doing what it is he asks of you. And so he notices all of these things in this world that when you try and live without God, how fruitless it is. He talks about it under the sun. That phrase is used over and over again. And here he's talking about the evil, the wicked. It says in verse 11, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. He says, people do evil things. By the way, evil is real. I don't know why, but I have a hard time with that. I think it might be a generational thing. My generation was taught that people aren't evil and actions aren't evil. They're just poorly educated. People are disadvantaged. They haven't had the same opportunities. And if they had had the same opportunities, they wouldn't have done wicked things. But you know what? The Bible says that there is evil and there are wicked people and they've given themselves over to evil. Praise God that he's powerful enough to save an evil man, an evil woman, and to turn them into a child of light, as we heard about this morning. God is greater than all those things. But in in our minds, we have to reconcile that there, there are evil people. And it seems at times like they get away with it. Doesn't it seem like they get away with it? It says here that the sentence, the punishment, the judgment for doing wrong is not speedily executed. Now, you should have a right, according to the laws of our land, to a speedy trial, right? We have a lawyer in the room. How speedy are the trials? She's, she's shaking her head for those of you that are watching online. They're, they're, not, they're not speedy. And it might seem like even the judgment against wickedness takes forever. Well, they they did this thing wrong and nothing bad happened. I I remember seeing this with my kids. They sort of get the idea that they're not supposed to do something as a toddler. And so they're like looking at you and they're reaching out to touch that thing that they ought not touch. But they're looking at mom, they're looking at dad, and they're like, just to see what would happen. And if nothing happens, they get the idea there's nothing wrong with that. Or maybe you've had your children say this thing. Well, you saw me doing it. You didn't say anything. As, and <laughs> as though that suddenly makes it okay. I remember doing that to my parents. But it seems like there's no consequences for their wickedness. Well, what happens if it takes 
so long that people get the idea that there's no consequences for their wickedness. It says in verse number 12 of Ecclesiastes 8, well, let's stick with, with verse 11 for a moment. It says, therefore, the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Because it looks like, because the judgment of it takes so long, it looks like they win. And it looks like I can do that too and get away with it and there will be no consequences for me. You know, this, as I was reading through this and studying and praying about it, it reminded me of Psalm 73. Would you look there with me? We're going to go back and forth. So you may want to stick your uh, Bible ribbon there if you have one of those or a bookmarker if you have one. Look with me in Psalm 73. Listen to the heart of the psalmist here. Truly, God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had nigh slipped, for I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Here's a, here's a very open, real, personal confession of somebody that knew God, but was discouraged at how it seemed like the wicked around him were winning. He says, I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. He is noticing how their riches, how their position, how their power seems to make them something greater than those that are around them. And because of it, it ruins his spirit. It says in verse 6, continuing on, Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence cover them as a garment. Even though they're doing these wicked things, they still seem to be succeeding. He says that they're prideful. They're boastful. They lift themselves up. They talk about how great they are, and they put other people under them. Violence is the way that they deal with everything. They don't get what they want, then they hit you and take it. They don't get what they want, then they bring the law to bear and take it. This is what these wicked people were like. It says their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. Now, I know that none of you were thinking to yourself as you're driving here, man, I wish my eyes stood out with fatness. I know none of you thought that, but I want you to think about who were the only people that could actually end up being fat back in Bible times. You had to be what? You had to be wealthy. You had to be rich. There wasn't a whole lot of food. It wasn't like today where we have the abundance that we have. You, you, only the fat people could end up being, did you ever wonder why in certain eras they, when they painted beautiful women, they were not the, the little skinny things that they put on magazine covers and stuff now, you know why? Because those were the rich women, the influential women, because only they had food. And so this is a, a mark of being wealthy, of having arrived, of being successful. They have more than you could even ask for. They are corrupt, verse eight and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. Verse 9, they set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. He says they're absolutely terrible. They're absolutely terrible with what they say, what they say about God, what they say about other people. They destroy people with their words. It says, therefore his people return hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them, and they say, how doth God know? And is there any knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. 
that same idea. How doth God know? Right? They get the idea that since nothing bad has happened, I can get away with it. And sadly, this mindset still happens today. You think to yourself, young people, look at me for a second. Young people, look at me for a second. I, I want you to get this in your hearts. You've been told that certain behaviors are wrong and you ought not engage with them. Whether it's drinking certain things, smoking certain things, going certain places, sharing certain things of yourself with other people, and you're told that you ought not do it and that it's dangerous to you and God doesn't want you doing it, and then you go and try it once. And you don't get struck down by lightning. And you don't have a car uh, accident on the way home where a tree miraculously crashes down on your car so that God has taught you a lesson. You don't automatically get sick because of it. You don't automatically have something terrible happen because of it. And you might think to yourself, this is okay. Because there wasn't immediately something bad that happened. That's one of the dangers that ends up gripping people because they say, it was just one drink, it's not a big deal. Nothing bad happened. Well, the man that drinks one time, one drink, might drink two. And then three, and then four. The person who parties hard one night and says that's an unusual thing, does it again, a second night, a third night. And before you know it, these things have gone out of control. And we got the wrong message in our minds because we thought, hey, we can get away with it. We can get away with it. That's what the wicked were thinking. And they said, God doesn't see, and he's not going to do anything about it. And it was painful for him to consider that he endured all of this and that he suffered and that they got ahead. He says in verse 13, Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. He's like, I'm sitting here trying to live right and I don't have enough money. I can't pay the bills. I'm in debt. I've got all sorts of problems. I'm, I'm trying to follow after God and I'm in church and I'm giving and I'm serving and I'm praying and I'm reading God's word and I'm trying to do right and it seems like I got problems everywhere and these people that are engaging in open rebellion against God in wickedness, they are succeeding. They've got the money they need. They've got the security that they need. They get to do the things that I wish that I could do. And the psalmist here said, it was too painful for me to even think about because here I am doing right and maybe I'm wasting my time. Maybe I'm wasting my time. Maybe it would have been better for me if I had just dwelled in the tents of the wicked. But, but, Ecclesiastes 8.12, though a sinner do evil a hundred times, and his days be prolonged, yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God, which fear before him. He's talking about these sinful people that don't see God zapping them as soon as they do something wrong and thinking it's okay, and so they fully set their hearts after it. Now he introduces somebody else, somebody who is rightly related to God, people that fear God. That is an expression that perhaps we don't use as often these days, but that's the right relationship to have with our Creator. God is so grand and so mighty and so loving and so awesome that we would, if we had a proper vision of who He is, we would want to reverentially treat Him right as not to disappoint, as not to anger, as not to humiliate or shame Him. There's a reverential fear. Have you ever met somebody and you really wanted to make a good impression because they were important to you? 
you really wanted to, to, to do the right thing in front of them, you wouldn't say you were afraid of them like they're going to jump out and get you. I, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That's not the kind of fear we're talking about. This is reverence. And so here's the person who's rightly related to God, has the right kind of relationship with him. And, you know, he, he starts in Psalm 73, if you jump back there. In Psalm 73... Verse number 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. His heart is broken at how the wicked seem to win and about how he's suffering, about how they have much and he has little, until he goes into the house of the Lord and he's reminded of the Lord and his word and his truth and his greatness. And then he remembers and then he has perspective about how it ends for the wicked, about what the ending really looks like. Back in the passage that we were dealing with, there's, there's a lovely word here. In verse 12, it says, Though a sinner do evil a hundred times and his day be prolonged, yet, yet, surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God. You know what? You say, why is he, why is he sure that things are going to go well with the righteous? Why is he sure that things are going to go well with that? Did something change with the wicked? Did all of a sudden between verses 11 and 12, all of the wicked got what was coming to them just then and now we can say, I've seen it and now I know that it's going to happen. No, this is a yet of faith. He says, yet surely I know. How does he yet surely know? How can he see them win and know? Because God's word says it. This is a moment of faith. We have many reasons to believe God and there is much evidence to support, but there come moments when we have to take God's word at face value, even though what we're experiencing in that moment doesn't seem to match up. You ever been there where God made a promise and you're sitting here in this situation and you're like, I know you made this promise, but this is what I'm going through right now. And you have the choice to either believe the word of God or to believe your own limited understanding in that moment, your own experience in that moment. Your feelings, my feelings are real and they can be overwhelming at times, but they can also be wrong. They can be misinformed. They can be inaccurate. And so when, when this man sees them winning, he reminds himself, wait, 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 I know what's going to happen. The psalmist remind, reminded himself of it by going into the presence of God. It says in duplication in verse number 12 about them that fear God, which fear before him, about being rightly related. It's duplicated twice for emphasis. It's duplicated twice for emphasis. Repetition is God's volume in the Bible. He's turning up the volume when he says this. It's important to be rightly related to God. How does someone become rightly related to God? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ, God's son, became a man without ceasing to be God, and he lived a sinless life. And he died on the cross, laying down his own life willingly for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame. And he didn't stay dead, but he rose from the grave on the third day. And because of what he did in covering our sin debt, because of what he did in bringing life to those of us who were spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins, now you and I can be rightly related to God. Here, the psalmist would have needed to look forward to the coming of the Messiah 
Now we can look back to the coming of the Messiah. He looked forward to a savior that would help them to be rightly related to God. We look back because now by God's grace, we've been given such a treasure that so many saints before us haven't known, which is a complete and understanding of God's revelation of his word. And we know that a savior came to make us right with him. That's how we end up rightly related to God. He says it's going to be well with them. This is sort of an understatement. I'm not trying to correct the word of God, but this seems... This seems a little bit of an understatement. Yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God. That, 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 that's it? Solomon? I think it's going to be a little bit greater than well, don't you? I want you to think. I, I, I love, I love uh, what Brother Greg Crabtree says in, in junior church when people ask, is this going to be in heaven? Is that going to be in heaven? Is this going to be in heaven? Because he has to answer a lot of those questions from little people. And my, my children come home and they tell me, that he says it's better than you can even imagine. They'll say, is it going to be this? And they'll come up with some amazing thing that would make them happy. And he's going to say, it's going to be even better than that. So whatever you and I can imagine, it's going to be exceeding, abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Not only does God do that, but that's what he will do for us in the future. Christ in us, on this earth, power over sin, a transformed life, being made a new creature in him, life eternal with God, meaning, purpose, satisfaction in this life, all of the things that the world is looking for and is starving for and is miserable because of, that are anxious over and depressed over, that are numbing themselves with whatever means they can find to stave off the pain, all of those things that they lack, we find in Christ Jesus. Oh yeah, Solomon, it's going to be well with them that fear the Lord. Verse number 13, but it shall not be well with the wicked, neither shall he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he feareth not before God. Again, seems like a little bit of an understatement. It's not going to be well with the wicked. It's not going to be well with the wicked. Those that have given themselves to sin and have run that course, it looks bad for them. Why? Well, Hebrews chapter 9 in Hebrews chapter 9, in verse number 27. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. Hebrews 9, 27. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. Do you know why it's not going to look good for the wicked? Do you know why the psalmist said, I remember their end? because it's not at the end of the story yet. You can look at right now and say, I thought the wicked were supposed to lose and the righteous were supposed to win. I thought that virtue was to be rewarded and wickedness was to be punished. Oh, yes, but we're not at the end of the story yet. But if you turn to the end of the story, if you see the end thereof, like the psalmist did as he went into the house of the Lord, and you see this moment when they're going to have to stand before God in their wickedness, they did not win. They did not win. In verse 13, still back in Ecclesiastes, it says, neither shall he prolong his days, which are as a shadow. They're not going to live forever. And you know, even if they live to 100 years old, 120 years old, and they, they live with all of the wealth that they got from all of the wickedness that they had perpetuated, it'll just be like a shadow compared to eternity. It'll just be like a shadow compared to eternity. This reminds me of the time when I would fight with my brother about who got to ride in the front seat of the car. It was a big deal. 
If he got to ride in the front seat twice in a row, I was mad. We're supposed to, we're supposed to trade out, right? Maybe you remember those days, back when children were allowed to sit in the front seat of vehicles, right? Do you know how important that is to me now? Do you know how long it's been since this sermon that I've even thought about that? It's like a shadow. It doesn't matter at all. That's, that's the same thing that it's going to be like when we look at eternity compared to this life. We're going to look back at everything that we went through in this life, whether we had much or little, and I want you to know if we were faithful with what we've been given, we'll be thrilled at what happened, but it'll seem like a shadow. We'll be so filled will be so full of the things of God that we won't much think in our former life. Look at the true end of the wicked in Psalm 73. Back in this personal account of what the psalmist realized. Surely, verse 18, thou dost set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation? As in a moment, they are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one waketh, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. It seems like he's talking about a moment, that there was a moment that something happened, and all of a sudden it all fell apart, and they were filled with terrors, and everything that they had was taken from them. They were in a slippery place. Do you know what it means to be in a slippery place? You are about to fall. You're about to fall. That's what it means to be in a slippery place. And so they are. They're brought into desolation as in a moment. What is that? Well, it could be the judgment of God upon this earth, but it is most definitely when they enter into the presence of the Lord. And you say, why why are they in trouble when they enter into the presence of the Lord? Well, it's at the end of the verse that we looked at. It says, back in Ecclesiastes 8, verse 13, because he feareth not before God. You know what that means? He's not rightly related to the Lord. That's why he's in so much trouble. It's not just that he did those wicked things because, friend, you and I, we still do wicked things. And before we were saved, we did wicked things. And sometimes we did them without any remorse. And the only reason that you and I can be numbered with those for whom it will go well, from those in whom fear God, is because of the change that God has made in our lives. It is all by his grace and to his glory that any of us are what we are. If not for the grace of God, we would be in the same place as those wicked people were. But by God's grace, we won't answer for those things. And even the wicked up to the moment of when they're on that slippery slope, they can repent and receive Christ's forgiveness. But if they do not, they will stand before the Lord. The psalmist is mad at himself. Psalm 73, 21, Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. He said, I I felt so dumb because I ever got upset about this, because I ever envied them, because I ever wanted to be them. I wanted to be one among them because I wanted to dwell in the tents of the wicked, because I wanted to have their wealth and their comfort and their pleasure, because I wanted those things. And I was mad that I had to suffer so much. And now I realize how it's all going to come out in the end. And he just, he was torn up about it because of how silly it was for him to get that upset. I want you to know that I don't, neither should you as a child of God, rejoice in the judgment of the wicked. I'm not happy that they get what's coming to them. I'm really not. But here's one thing I am glad for, that God keeps his word. That he's the kind of God where righteousness wins and wickedness is cast down. 
where those that love him and fear him are blessed and those that despise him are cast aside under judgment into terrors, it says. Thankful that we have that kind of God. Even if the wicked man lives a long time here, it's as a shadow compared to eternity. So, so what should you and I do with this information? Until we make the application, the sermon's not complete. What should we do with it? First of all, we need to have it solidly in our hearts to believe that God judges the wicked. That God will judge the wicked. We need to know that that's going to happen for a couple of reasons. One, so we don't end up like the psalmist did, to where we envy them and decide we want to go after them, we want to be like them, until it says in the New Testament, it mentions that some, having wanted to go after wealth, have erred from the faith and have caused themselves all sorts of trouble and sorrow. We don't want to run after that way and some sort of mistaken idea that they're the ones who are truly winning. I want you to know it might look good on the outside, but it is not good on the inside. It is not good on the inside. And they may boast and they may say that it is, but it's, it's not. It's not all it ought to be. We ought to believe that God will judge the wicked, not only so we don't go astray, but so that we're confident when we say that people need to repent of their sins and trust Christ as Savior. Listen, if there is no hell from which to save the souls of men, then why are we so burdened about it? Why would we, why would we give of our hard-earned money to reach the, the men and women and boys and girls in this community and of our efforts? Why would we risk our reputation to do that? Why would we send money overseas to people that are seeing churches started and people saved and discipled and, and churches planted from those churches? Why, why would we do all of that if there is no, at the end of the day, judgment? Why would Christ shed his own blood on the cross if there was no debt, if there was no punishment from which to save us? We need to know that it's real. I don't rejoice in it. I'm not happy about it. But the Bible says that God is angry with the wicked every day, all day. And that's, that's a scary thing. Can you imagine having God angry with you? I don't think anybody realizes the power of God. I'm sure I don't have a smidgen of the full idea of what it is. But if he brought his power to bear upon somebody, you could just be gone. It's only by his will do we even hold together. If he wanted, your atoms would just fly apart or they would just stop being. We're talking about someone with whom there is no boundaries on his power. There is no law that you can appeal to. There is no Supreme Court to try and drag him back into line. He is God Almighty. Praise God, he's a good God. He is holy and just and righteous. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Let me answer that for you. Yes, he will do right. Praise God we don't serve some of those capricious, uh, wicked gods of the Romans and of the Greeks. Do you, do you remember what they would tell about their gods with a little g? About how petty they were? About how lustful they were and about how rude they were? And praise God that's not who holds our fate in their hands. What a good God that we have. We need to believe that God will judge the wicked for our sake to be firm knowing that it will pay off one day but we also need to know that god will judge them so that we might motivate ourselves to rescue them it's not the greatest motivation by the way it's a good motivation to want to save people from going to hell but there's an even greater motivation the one who has saved you from going to hell loves them and wants them with him and because i love him my great savior i will go and reach them but it is a great reminder to us that in a moment, slippery slope, 
That's what it says. They're in a slippery place. They could be cast aside. Second of all, remember the end of the righteous. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. This life, this world, this is not our home. This world is not a friend to the children of God. We are in enemy territory. There is coming a day when the Lord Jesus Christ will come in his glory and in his power and he will descend upon this earth at the end of the tribulation and he will set up his kingdom for a thousand years and will finally have righteous rule in this place. I want you to know that's going to happen. But until that day, we are in enemy territory. We ought not be surprised if we go through hardship in this world. Not only is this world our enemy, uh, but the, we have a true enemy, a true adversary, the devil. And he hates the children of God. And he's just as real as God the Father or God the Son or God the Holy Spirit. You can't believe in one without the other because the same scriptures that testify to the one testify to the other. We also have an enemy in our own flesh. We have a saboteur. You know what a saboteur does? Sneaks into the inside and causes all sorts of trouble. So we, we have these things. And so this life will be difficult and it will cost things from us. And we may not have all of the blessings that come for the righteous in this life. But friend, are we, are we going to get the blessings in the end? Without a doubt. I asked Joan tonight as she was walking to the piano. I asked her, I said, are, do, the, do the wicked win? Are the wicked going to win? And she said, not in the end. I've read the end of the book. And she's right. In Psalm 16, in verse 11, I referenced this earlier this morning, and I think I misquoted it, so I want to get to it tonight. You know what we're going to do? Heaven's going to be wonderful, by the way. Heaven's going to be wonderful. And it won't be when we get to that eternal city. It's not going to be the streets of gold or the beautiful gates of precious gemstones or the crystal sea. It's not going to be any of those things that catch our eye. You know what's going to make it the greatest? is because we will be with God. In Psalm 16, in verse number 11, it says, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. You've probably gotten something new before and were so excited about it. Maybe it was a new car. Maybe it was a, a new outfit, a new phone, new pair of shoes, new equipment for your hobby, whatever it might have been. You got some, And you were excited for a little bit, but you know what happened? You kind of got bored with it, didn't you? And now you don't think about it. You don't wake up with that big smile on your face because those golf clubs are in the garage. Because you, you happen to have that car in the driveway or that new job. You know what? The pleasures of God, they last forever. You're not going to run out. You're never going to be bored with heaven. I've heard some people that got their theology from Porky Pig and Looney Tunes say, I'm going to be bored of sitting on the cloud playing a harp all day. By the way, Porky Pig and Looney Tunes, not a great place to get your theology. That's not what heaven looks like. You and I are not going to be bored in heaven because there's always going to be something new there. There's always going to be something different. We're going to learn something new about the Lord, something wondrous about him. We're going to experience a new pleasure, a new joy all the time. There are pleasures there forevermore. This is the end of the righteous, no matter how bad you have it on this earth. And most of us in this room are living a life that if you were to look back throughout history, this is the best time to be alive. We have the highest quality of living. We've never had it so good. And, and that, that might sound trite if you've got a lot of things going on in your life, but none of you are dying from cholera. None of you lack for clean water. You're not being oppressed as peasants 
as serfs under some feudal lord where you're being sent to die for his glory so he can get a little more land. We, we, don't, we don't have that today. Things aren't perfect. I get that. But even if we had the worst in this life, what's waiting for us will far, far exceed. Paul said it's not even to be con- compared. You can't compare it. It's nothing. You can't even compare it. You say, will it be twice as good? You can't compare it. I'm sorry. It's, it's so much better than that. Ten times as good? I'm sorry. There's no comparison with what we have here to there. It, it's something that we can't even yet imagine. Remember what the end is. Friend, when you want to quit, remember what the end is. Payday someday. And if you listen to that old sermon? Payday someday. We ought to put a link to that somewhere um, on, on the website if I remember to do that. Because it, someday... All of the things that we've been promised will enter into. All of it. Into the joy of the Lord. Lastly, let's remember the end of the wicked. Remember the end of the wicked. Just as much as we rejoice in the end of the righteous, we must remember that the end of the wicked. May it keep us from wanting to walk in their ways. Young people, you're going to have the thought that you're missing out. You're going to have the thought that you're missing out. Mom and dad won't let you hang out with those people. They won't let you go to those parties. They tell you about you ought to dress this way and you ought to behave this way. And you think, if I was just like so-and-so, her mom doesn't make her do any of this stuff. She's allowed to stay out as late as she wants to. She doesn't have to have an app on her phone that shows where she is all the time. She gets to do whatever she wants. I wish I was her. I wish I had her parents. Friend, I want you to know it's hard for you to appreciate it right now. It is so hard to appreciate it, and I remember it. Hasn't been that long, but one day you will be so thankful. The number of people that Pastor Steve and I and others here, Joan and Bill, have had to try and help counsel, people that perhaps you know in your own life have made a a shipwreck of it, a ruin of it, because they thought that there was something great out there. But there's not. There's not. It might look fun for a while like the prodigal son who asked for his inheritance early and went off into the far land and wasted his substance with riotous living and with harlots. It might look great, but you know where he ended up, don't you? In the pigsty. When that sin that was pleasurable for a season was done with him and had taken everything he had, and none of those people that he thought were his friends were his friends anymore, no one would even give to him when he begged. That's the end. We need to remember what the end of these things are. We need to remember what the end of the wicked is, not just so that we don't go there, but reminding us to give them the gospel so that they might have a different end, that they might have the end of the righteous and pleasures forevermore. Though a sinner do evil a hundred times and his days be prolonged, yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God which fear before him. But it shall not be well with the wicked, neither shall he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he feareth not before God. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes for a moment? We have in our church what we call a time of invitation where we invite you to act on what it is that God has spoken to you about. And I don't know what God has spoken to you about. I don't know what he's spoken to you about. But I know that he led me to this passage and we pray before services begin that the Lord would tell us something would give us what we need, whether it's comfortable to hear or not. And so if God has gotten your attention about something, maybe you thought, this, I've wasted my time. I've washed my hands. I've tried to live clean. I've done all of these things I'm asked to do, and I'm just going to give up. 
No, friend, it will be worth it all. It will be. You have the word of God on that. Maybe you're ready to quit. Don't quit. Maybe you're ready to quit. Don't. Maybe it looks like they get away with it and you've been discouraged because of that. Friend, they don't win in the end. It might look like it, but they do not. Don't go in their ways. Maybe you found yourself drawn astray by what looks like a great opportunity. But God has gotten your attention tonight. Would you bring that before him and ask for forgiveness and the strength to correct your course? Maybe you're here tonight and you don't know Christ as Savior and you want that end where it's well with you. I want you to know you can have it. You can have it. Christ, all of heaven would rejoice if you received him as Savior tonight. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. Some people may come to pray. I'll be standing here at the head of this aisle. Just slip out of your seat and come and let me know as others come and say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved, but I'd like to be sure. And someone will take you aside privately, a gentleman with a gentleman, a lady with a lady, and speak to you from God's word, show you how you can know for sure without a shadow of a doubt that heaven will be your eternal home. Get that settled tonight. Maybe you something completely different than what we talked about. Maybe you'd like to follow the Lord in believer's baptism or join this church as a member or God has spoken to you about something completely different. Would you respond to God's spirit? What a shame it would be if God was speaking to us but we just said no or another time and we missed out. Father, I pray that in this time of invitation you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing. Of times the day seems long, our trials are to bear. We're tempted to complain, to murmur and despair. But Christ will soon appear to catch his bride away. concludes our services for this evening. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Our young friends, if you'd help us at this time to collect the cups.